All right, now rub your hands together. 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 And then take one hand and put it on your heart. And more than likely, you'll feel your heart's rhythm. Can anyone feel it? You can feel your heart's rhythm. We know that the foundations of rhythm, at least as we can relate to, start with our heartbeat. Your heart, when it's out of rhythm, especially for a long period of time, can be damaging and sometimes fatal. Today, we're going to talk about rhythm. And we're going to talk about three different stories, Martha, Mary, maggots, and me. Don't get excited. Don't get excited. Uh, Before we get into the word, I wonder if we could pray and ask the Lord what I want, what I hope for every time I teach is that some truth you would be able to cling on to and walk away with and apply that to your life. And so that's what we want today. If that's what you came for, pray with me. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're asking you, Father, that you would show your glory in this place and manifest your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom in a a way that is applicable, ways that they can understand that help me, Lord, this, this piece of clay, of dirt. I ask you that you just give me the way to communicate the truth that you've given me. I pray, God, by the end of this service, we'll have a good way of knowing how to be in good rhythm. God, we're asking you if there be any distractions in this place that you get rid of that. God, we need you in this place so that way we can continue to grow. We need you today. Help us, help us, Lord, grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ today. And everybody say, amen. You may be seated now. You may be seated now. When we think of rhythm outside of our heartbeat, we often think about music. If you've been in church a while, at some point, you've likely encountered the unfortunate spectacle of someone on the worship team just being a little bit offbeat. Not tonight. Not tonight. We've all, we've all experienced a church service or maybe a band concert when a musician played so fast that the congregation struggled to keep up. We've all been, in, not, not here, not here. We've all been in a church service when the audience clapped offbeat that it threw off the singers. Not here. (laughs) Not here. I used to be that drummer that played to the beat of my own drum, and it was incredibly distracting to every every ear in the room. Drummers, can I get a witness? Anybody drummers in here? That's right, me and you, man. Me and you. Thankfully, the Lord cares about the motives of our hearts more than the perfection of our music making. But when the beat is consistent and the musicians are on the same page, it makes it easier for people to enter into a time of worship. We know this. Rhythm matters. Rhythm is a consistent pattern for which those who hear, feel, or see, we can track, we can follow. Rhythm woos us. Just ask a baby. We play lullabies that hold a consistent rhythm for our children to settle and to rest. And when the beat is steady, a song sounds so naturally that we don't even really notice anything. But when the rhythm is off, it's impossible not to. Why? Because we're, we are wired for patterns. In fact, all of creation contains God's rhythms. The rise and fall of the tide the steady beat of the human heart, the darkening skies at the end of the day, the, the rise, the fall, the 
Breathe in. Breathe out. The of the heart. Rhythm helps us to set expectations. Rhythm helps us to join the dance in worship. I'm not going to lie. It would be hard if there was no rhythm for me to get down with the worship service. Right? And, you know, I'm going to sing the song. And if you want to sway with me, sway with me. Um, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus walked. There you go. When Jesus walked. When Jesus what? I can't do it. I can't. I can't, can't do it. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about, but I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. But you realize some got rhythm. Some don't. You just know. Some don't. Uh, but just as the rhythm of the heart pumps blood through our veins, the rhythm that God created us for us is a life-giving and worth exploring. Tonight I want to spend a few minutes just talking about rhythm. A story of Mar- Mary, Martha, Maggots, and me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know this. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. James Weldon Johnson, an African-American writer of poetry, writes, And God stepped out on space, and he looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. As far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything, blacker than a hundred midnights, down in a cypress swamp. And then God smiled. The light broke, the darkness rolled up on one side, and the light stood shining on the other. And God said, that's good. Then God reached out and took the light in his hands, and God rolled the light around in his hands until he made the sun. And he set that sun ablazing in the heavens, and the light that was left from that making the sun. God gathered that up in a shiny ball and flung it against the darkness, spangling the night, the moon, and stars. And then down, down between the darkness and the light, he hurled the world, and God said, now that's good. Then God himself stepped down, and the sun was on his right hand, and the moon was on his left hand, and the stars were clustered about his head, and the earth was under his feet, and God walked, and where he trod, his footsteps hollowed the valleys out and bulged the mountains up. And he stopped and looked and saw that the earth was hot and barren. So God stepped over to the edge of the world and he spat over seven seas. He batted his eyes and the lightnings flashed. He clapped his hands and the thunders rolled and the waters above the earth came down. The cooling waters came down. Then the grass, the green grass sprouted and the little red flowers blossomed. The pine tree pointed his finger to the sky and the oak spread out his arms. The lakes cuddled down in the hollows of the ground and the rivers ran down to the sea, and God smiled again, and the rainbow appeared, curled itself around his shoulder. Then God raised his hands and waved his hand and his arms over the sea and over the land, and he said, bring forth, bring forth. And quicker than God can drop his hands, fish and fowls and beasts and birds swam the rivers and the seas, roamed the forests and the woods and split the air with their wings, and God said, That's good. 
Then God walked around, and God looked around, and all that he had made. He looked at the sun, and then he looked at the moon, and then he looked at the stars. He looked at his world with all its living things, and God said, I'm lonely still. So then God sat down on the side of the hill where he could think. By a deep, wide river, he sat down with his hands, with his head in his hands, got thought, a thought. He's a thinker, so he thought. Till he thought, I'll make me a man. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay by the bank of the river. He kneeled down, and there the great God Almighty who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most far corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mommy bending over her baby, kneeling down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay till he shaped it in his own image. Then he blew the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Amen? Amen. That's a lot of work to be done in six days. Would you agree? He created the entire universe, the sun, the moon, the light, and darkness. And you read the first chapter of Genesis, you'll, you'll begin to see this rhythm a pattern and therefore a purpose. The sun, the moon, light, darkness, the sky and ground. All created evening and morning framework. But the rhythm doesn't stop there. God shows us the cycle of his rhythm in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1, it reads, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. We know this now and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So that same day, God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God has always inserted in the very beginning of creation a concept of rhythm, a principle to live by. God explicitly shows us the importance of this concept in the very beginning of creation. Our bodies are constituted and are created with rhythm in mind. You've probably heard about the Arcadian rhythm. Most often, though it speaks to more than just this, when we think about the Arcadian rhythm, we think about sleep. I remember when I was working uh, 12-hour shifts and I would come home late at night and I'd try to tiptoe, you know, tiptoe in. And then it wasn't tiptoe enough. And then my wife would say, honey, you just knocked me out of my rim. I was in the middle of my rim. What she was telling me is that I knocked off her rhythm. Now it's going to be hard for her to get some sleep. And the next day is going to be hard for everybody because mom hasn't got enough sleep. This is why God emphasized an example to us in the beginning, the idea of rest and work. It's a nice rhythm, rest and work. When Jesus, wow, you know, just rest and work. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you, should, you shouldn't do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your family, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who, who's within your gates. Not your cousin, not your uncle, nobody. Nobody does anything. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all this in them. 
and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, Moses is speaking to them again, and he says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. It is a command, not a suggestion. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well. With you, back in that culture, he was saying, everybody gets to rest. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, Isaiah pins, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, not doing your own thing, or seeking your own pleasure, or taking idly, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth." We can understand now how important God sees having a Sabbath was. It was more than rest. It was an indicator to really stop and reflect on him. Though this was an expected everyday event, they would quote the Shema every single day to think and to ponder and spend time with him. The Sabbath was specifically set aside a day to rest and reflect on him individually and communally in a community. It served and still can and should remind us that the rhythm with which God has created, it matters. And being responsible evaluators of our rhythm is something that God actually expects from us. It's not something he'll do for you. He won't do it for you. He just commands you to do it and makes you do it. We lived in Mount Vernon for uh, nine years and we lived around crops and cows and dung and everything you can think of, right? But one thing I've learned from farmers is that they understand Sabbath. They get it. They really do. They'll plant. I used to wonder why this this patch of land, it had corn on it last year, but it doesn't have corn on it this year. And I began to wonder why. And I realized it's ancient principle that 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 ground knows about rhythm. It knows that I, this ground needs to rest. I can still plant stuff here, it says, but it won't be as effective if it doesn't rest. So with that in mind, I want to consider three narratives that give us a principle about rhythm. And it will remind us that everyone in this room, ready, is human. That we're human. Luke chapter 10, verse 40 through 42, it reads, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him, meaning Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I want you to go tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Most children hear this question between when they're in diapers and to when they turn the tassel over in graduation. So what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? From in between those times, we innately know that we're supposed to work. 
It's in our DNA. God created us this way. So some responses may be that I, I, I want to be a firefighter or I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a doctor. For me, I wanted to be an NBA preacher. You laugh, but I'm serious. Ask me after service how I was going to make that work. I wanted to be an NBA preacher. Well, let me just explain. What I was going to do was I was going to play the first two quarters, and then I was going to preach halftime. Every... Y'all laugh. I was going to preach halftime, and then everybody would get anointed, slain, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then the third, fourth quarter, nobody would care who wins because everybody won. But I knew that I was going to have to work. We are supposed to work. We know that God didn't just create us to eat hot taki chips on the couch and scroll mindlessly through the bottomless vortex of social media. He created us to work. He gave Adam a job. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It reads, the Lord God took the man, and when he did, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. You know this idiom, if you don't work, that's right. This, there is some Martha in all of us, a work ethic, a drive that was designed by God from the very beginning. Martha was the type of person that was up before the sun was up serving. Her hashtag or her Instagram post would probably read in tandem with the early bird. She would probably put hashtag, I got the worm. So Martha was a driven individual that worked 12 hours and considered to work until the setting of the sun. How many know anybody like that? Just a worker, just work, just a work. Uh, you know these types of people. They are driven and appear to not need sleep. A world without Marthas would be very different. We need Marthas. Without Marthas, no one would take out the trash. No one would open the doors for refuge service. No one would clean every week here. We ought to thank all the consistent servers and workers here at Refuge. We need to work. In our jobs, no one, if, no, one, no one would put out fires. No one would stop the bad guys. No one would fix the plumbing. We need Martha's. And so Jesus is coming into Bethany, and Martha knows. Martha knows he's coming. So what does she do? She works. She begins to prepare. She gets all the linen all ready to go, get everything swept up, probably throws things in the closet so that way no one could see. She begins to create, I believe, and this is the story that I'm telling, she begins to create fried, fried chicken. And so... She begins to get the oil together. If you know anything about fried chicken, it's got to start heating up for a little bit. You know, she starts heating up. So she's prepared. She's prepared. She's working. And Martha served when they got there. When they got there, obviously, these men and are, are hungry. So she's fixing things. She's making sure that she can serve. And Martha served with excellence. Her work was, and if you're a Martha in this room, is valuable. And we might say that her work was a form of worship as she expressed to God how much she loved him. This is what some of us do. Our, us Marthas, this is how we show God, this is how much I love you, and this is how much I worship you by our work. Sunday school teachers work and study to prepare a lesson that bless and enrich and grow us spiritually every Sunday. 
We're thankful for you. Preachers and pastors work to study and prepare messages for their flock. Aren't you thankful for your pastor? Aren't you thankful for your pastor? In that same breath, musicians and singers practice hard so they can be used by God to lead others into worship. Aren't you thankful for Sister Jackie to making sure that we are in tandem? And everybody else. More volunteers work all week creating gift baskets for visiting ministers, preparing meals for VIP lunches, visiting the hurt and help us in the hospital, give Bible studies, quote students for the Bible quizzing, drive vans to bring people to church, host a small group, run a small group, run the audio, sweep the floors, vacuum the floors, follow up with new visitors, create sermon graphics for the preacher. Thank you, Eddie. And so much more. With our world and church, there's always work to be done. Martha's, I want, to, want you to hear me, Martha's are valuable. And their work for God is worship. We should serve refuge and work with passion. Give 150%. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We ought to serve without compassion. When, Mary, when Martha goes up to, to Jesus, she says, here I am serving alone. If you're going to serve, serve without, compa- without comparison. And, and never, never with the prideful demeanor that I'm the one doing all the work. I'm the one doing all the work. Serve with compassion, meekness, and mercy with those you serve and to those you, leave, you lead. And serve with limits. Serve with limits. You don't have to do it all the time. Trainers ask someone else to do it. This is why Jesus trained disciples. He did three years so that way he would be able to give it off to the next generation. Let the limits of serving, serving God stop at your sitting with him. But we've got to work. We've got to work. We've got to work. Now in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, that's one rhythm. Luke chapter 10, verse 39, we read, And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. When we consider this story between Mary and Martha, we might think of a rhythm in terms of sitting and serving, rest and work, sitting and and serving. Walking with God and working for God. See, Martha knew Jesus was coming to town and had invited him into their house. We don't know for sure, but I can imagine that Mary did help her sister because Jesus was coming to the house. I can imagine this is the same Mary who poured, who got down and washes Jesus with her feet. She, she's willing to serve in ways that, that she deems necessary. I can just imagine, I don't know for sure, but that she did help her before Jesus stepped foot into the house. But when Jesus got into the house and he began to teach, something else mattered more. Like Mary and Martha, when we come into this house and we invite Jesus into this space, we do 
And, you, and you'll see us moving around like busy bees. We, we want to make sure that everything is just right. The floors are swept. Cobwebs are moved. The chairs are in place. The music is on pitch. The sound is good. The lesson and message is prepared. But I also imagine that when Jesus finally got there in that space, Mary dropped everything and hung on to every syllable that Jesus had to say. Mary had a good balance of work and rest, working and walking. Here are some principles to think on when we think about Mary and Martha. It's far more necessary to sit than to serve. You name me someone that sits consistently, and I'll tell you that they'll be living for God for the rest of their lives. You, You tell me someone that serves all the time without sitting with Jesus, and I'll tell you they'll burn out really quickly. It's easier, ready? It's easier to maintain busy and serving than it is to sit and learn. Brother Jim, this one's coming up. In Wayne Cordero's book entitled Leading on Empty, he writes, lead out of rest and allow your soul to catch up with you. Only then will you be able to put your heart, your passion into everything God asks of you. Without rest, you are leading on empty. Learn to sit, and you'll gather a better approach to serve. Serving fulfills the needs of others, and sitting refills our passion to serve. If you don't sit, you really can't serve effectively. And if you can't sit, I'm going to say this, you probably shouldn't serve. Say that again. If you can't sit, you probably shouldn't serve. Sitting is prayer and devotion. Serving is labor and exhaustion. You can't have one, though, without the other. Here's another principle we, we all innately know, but when we get out of our God-ordained rhythm and never rest, our action says that we are indispensable, and without me, the work may not get done. If you want, to walk in God's plan and rhythm for yourself. Wing yourself off the need to be needed. Wing yourself off the need to be needed. He does want you to work in his vineyard, but he can use anybody. And not to be callous, but you can be gone tomorrow and someone will, someone will replace you. So wing, your, wing yourself off of the need to be needed and sit with him, and then God will do the rest. Do the rest. There's another cautionary tale to make sure that we can have a good rhythm with God and with others. Again, we aim to have this rhythm to be effective in all avenues of ministry, both in service and in sitting with him. However, we watch a group of people in a culture much different than ours behave the same way our culture teaches us to do. The concept of gathering more responsibilities, tasks, and to-dos than we probably should. It's found in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 13. We've covered Martha. We've talked about Mary. Now you know we're talking about maggots. Exodus chapter 16, verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. Now, just to give you some context... 
the Hebrews, the Israelites, are just coming out of Egypt, and they are excited, but they're also complaining. Um, has anyone ever been hangry before? Yeah, they, they, they are the biblical version of hangry. They are hangry. Uh, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flaky-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. I was telling Layla, my daughter, about this. She says, I wish I could have some manna. I would really like to have. I, I wonder what that's like. And I tell you, I, I tell her, I, I think it was Oreos. <laughs> but you, you, you do whatever you want to do. Um, I, I'd eat those every day, so... Uh, But when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is that? What is it? What do we we call that? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer. Now, let me explain what an omer was. It was have anything. But you think about um, an omer was simply uh, a kind of a cylinder-like jug or like a bowl for the family. And so if you had a family of four, you would create one of these omers that was significant to your family. You wouldn't make an omer. If you had a family of three, you wouldn't make a big omer like this. You'd make a smaller omer because you, you and your family, this is how much you would eat. And so Moses says, I, I, I want you to get an omer. Take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. Essentially, it was like two liters was an omer. Two liters was an omer. And so based off of your family, you would, you would gather. And, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. Verse 18, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Good job. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it till the morning. In other words, don't get more than you need. You don't need leftovers in the fridge. Just eat it all that day. Right? But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Here are a few principles we can learn about rhythm and what can cause us what happens when we go off of that rhythm. When you take on more than you are capable of, eventually other areas in your life begin to stink and suffer, like including those and including those who suffer with you, your family. I can just imagine what it was like to get all the manna together, and then it begins to stink, and now it affects the nose and nostrils of everybody in the house. When you take on more than you should, it affects everybody. And you know what else happens here? When you take on more than you should, it really it confuses and frustrates the leader. Because it assumes that you could have taken care of it, but now it's not done. So now the leader who expected you to get that done, there's a, there's a disconnect that happens. When you take on more than you can necessar- necessary, your well-intentioned passion will be translated, ready, as messy. And you will look like you're lazy 
if you just take on more than you should. Learn the value of your no so you can give your best yes. Learn your value of your no so you can give your best yes. Count the omer correctly, too, of your household and you. The tenth part of the ephah, a measuring basin, two liters. The Bible says each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Singular, family, structure. Don't base your relationship or your workload with anyone else. Give God your best and nothing else. And nothing else. I know that's true. I've been going to this place called Orange Theory. I really like it. I enjoy it. We go. <clears throat> when I first went, I was, am I good on time? I'm good. When we first went, uh, you, you, you have three different places. You go, you, you, you're on a rower, or you start on the treadmill, and then you go to the floor. Well, I thought I had the sauce, the pepper still. And I, and I, and I hadn't been to the gym in a minute, you know. And so you, you, you had two people on the side of you, and, I was, and they, and they give, give you three different options. You can go base, you can go base, and it's just, just a little something like that. Or you walk, you just walk it out. Or then they call it push. Then you just go a little bit faster, just a little faster. You go all out. Well, I hadn't been to the gym in a minute. So I, what I was doing was I was comparing myself to others. And so I got there, and I would just push. And I was, I'm, base, base. Woo! Push! And the people beside me, they've been doing this for like decades, it feels like. And they're just going, and, I, and I'm just, and all out. And I was like, whoo, whoo. all right, walk it out. All right, that's the first of six rounds. What? And I go, and so what I had done is I had compared my walk with them that was around me, and then I I knew better the next time. No, I'm just going to go at my pace. I'm just going to go at my pace. I'm not going to do anything different, right? I'm going to keep my rhythm. Keep my rhythm. Keep my rhythm. Even Moses got overwhelmed with people. In life, when it was just too much for him to handle, he recognized the rhythm was off. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 14, he says, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. We are human. We are human. You can't do it all by yourself. All right. And when we think of rhythm, we should consider the in-between of each beat of our schedule like the up and down of a heartbeat, the in-between of our schedule, our days and our serving. Jesus teaches the value of silence and getting away in the quiet. Martha, Mary, maggots, and now me. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, it reads, Now, when Jesus heard this, let me back up and pause. What did he hear? Jesus had heard that his cousin had died. He had heard that his cousin, his earthly cousin, had died, was gone, and it was horrible. It was horrible. The the way he knew how it happened, he knew what happened, he even knew that it was going to happen, but still, it still kind of got him. And the Bible says that when he heard this, he had to withdraw to a desolate place by himself. He had to get away. Essentially, he was grieving, and he just needed to be in this space. Anybody ever just needed a minute? Hmm? Mothers, you know what it's like when the kids are just all draping over you. Just give me a minute. Just a minute. Just give me one minute. 
Jesus just needed a minute to just collect his thoughts and get there. But as we see, it doesn't last long. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Let me say this about what that happens. Jesus needed to get away, but I guarantee you, the Bible also says as he continues, that when they came, he turns around and he looks at them with compassion. In other words, what Jesus was experiencing is what we talk, call in the chaplain, chaplain realm is he had compassion fatigue. And so he just needed to get away. But the Bible lets us know that he gets his reserves back up just long enough that when the crowds come back, he's ready to go again. So we need to have good self-care. Jesus needed a minute, needed some space. He needed quiet. And he also knew this was something he wanted to example to his disciples. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it reads, And he said to them, Come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. Rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Jesus would say that, that this, these moments or hours before, he would say this before feeding 5,000 with fish and chips. He understood the value of refueling before imparting to others. So Jesus had told them, let's get away, let's get away, let's get away, let's get away, let's get away for just a second. Because he understood it's a rest and work, it's a rest and work. And he knew what was, what was going to happen. And if you look back at that story, when he feeds the 5,000, he asked them, so what, what do we have? What do we got? He said, well, we got this, we got that. I believe Jesus was trying to teach them, what do you have in your reserve? What do you have and then they, were, they, were, they are able to kind of give. Jesus shows them. And then he was able to give to 5,000 or more people with fish and chips. For most of us, that's extremely difficult because we are so used to, we are so used to having time of noise. Jesus teaches a rhythmic principle that he exampled. We all need moments and minutes away to be just in the silence for our bodies to, to recoup. This is extremely hard for us. How many just loves to sleep with some sound, some music, something? I'm one of them. We are so used to sound and to noise, but sometimes it's worth it to just shut everything off. Here's a principle that I've learned about rhythm. Exercise often, sleep sensibly, eat responsibly, refuel spiritually, and you can lead well. Find your normal. Find your flow. Find your rhythm. It's different for everybody. But especially to us adults, your family is depending on it. We are responsible for setting up a healthy rhythm for our children. We are exampling to them what healthy rhythms of life should be, and they will replicate what they see. My wife and I have been trying to establish a rhythm with our children of prayer and Bible reading and fasting and giving and working. You know what rhythms, you know what rhythms that we don't have to reinforce though? When it's time to eat. They know what time it is. They have a rhythm. The body is conditioned to know that at 12 o'clock, this belly is supposed to be full. We went, um, went on a 5K last uh, Last year, went on 5K last year, and uh, if you could throw that, uh, that picture up of, of my son. We, uh, we went on 5K, 
And uh, in the beginning of the race, there was, there was kids and adults there. These kids, they were a little bit older than Ezra, but Ezra just loves to run. He just loves to run fast. And so he didn't understand the concept of the 5K. So they st- they, they, the, these kids just burst off. They just burst off. And they're gone. I mean, they're like literally feels like miles away from Ezra and me. And he starts to cry. And I said, son, son, it's okay. This is a long race. This is a long race. We just need to do what's called the pitter-pat. She goes, what? The pitter-pat. Ready? Pitter-pat. Just pitter-pat, 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 pitter-pat. You just got to get a rhythm, son. Pitter-pat. And he's like, daddy, that's not really fast. I, I understand. But I guarantee you, we're going to catch those guys, and we'll be good. So he says, pitter-pat, pitter-pat. Now, he only pitter-patted with me for like 30 seconds and then climbed on my back. Okay? <laughs> and then he came down and a pitter-pat, pitter-pat. But eventually, those kids were gassed, and we were just pitter-pat, 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 and we finished, and that was his response, and his reward was a powdered donut, as you can see. Uh, um, but what, what we were teaching him, and he learned a rhythm that would sustain him until the end without danger of burnout. God's desire for us is not just to endure it's for us to endure, sorry, but to do that with rhythm. You see, what we are after is, is what rhythm produces. It's not just for rhythm for rhythm's sake, but it's what rhythm produces in us and through us. If you can show that graffiti, uh, not graffiti, that, that uh, infinity thing, yeah. When you have steady rhythm, I believe it illustrates a great spiritual flow with God. The idea behind God's desired rhythm for us is that we work and rest, but that in the working, we will apply what we learned in the resting. There's purpose in it. He's not asking you to rest for no reason. He's doing that so he can feel you to go work. Let, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It reads, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What he means is, take my yoke upon you, we fit into work. We are going to work. You go where I go, you, and I will lead you where to go. For I, but, but he says, this is how it works, though. I don't work you hard. I am, low, I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest in your souls, even in the working. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Someone that has rhythm down with God is someone that is attached to him, has a relationship with him, and can receive revelation and inspiration from him. It's a give and receive kind of relationship. It's similar to our mission here at Refuge. You experience hope. And then what can you do afterwards? Then you can offer it. You experience it, you take it in, and then you can impart it to someone else. Those who have experienced hope in Jesus can then offer that same hope to others. It's like the down and upbeat of music. It's like the waltz. One, two, three, four. No, sorry. One, two, three, four, five, six. You know, I don't, you can tell I don't know how to waltz, you know. I'm trying to waltz. But I want to learn. I want to learn. Like the rhythm of your heart and rhythm is a sign of health, so the spiritual heart and life in God's rhythm is an accurate sign of good spiritual health. 
if the musicians could come, I want to give this last image of what God, our shepherd, desires for our lives when it comes to rhythm. It's found in Psalms chapter 23 when it talks about rest, solitude, and recharge. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, with all of that, the psalmist could think back and what the shepherd had done. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Because he does help me lie down in green pastures. Because he does restore my soul. Surely, I can tell, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And the privilege is I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the psalm. That's the flow. That's the rhythm that he wants. Instead, if you have that one last slide for the gym, this is what we sometimes do. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me to lie down only when I'm exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzies for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines, my need for approval drive me. They demand performance from from beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My end basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will be in the bounds of frustration forever. You'll stand with me. This is not what God intended for our rhythm. He wants us to have rhythm for what it produces in us as something that's overflowing and life-giving in others. Today, I want to open these altars for us to pray specifically that God would help prioritize our schedule and ask God specifically to forgive us for succumbing to the grain of culture that does not adhere to a Sabbath and make it holy. We need rest. And this altar is another place for which we find it. The Bible says this is the rest for which he's called the weary to rest with the unknown tongue and stammering lips. This is the place where we find rest. This place can be a Sabbath for you and your family. And so I wouldn't neglect this place. This is a place where you can find rest. This is a place where you can find hope. This is a place where you can sit. So I wonder if we can do that for a minute and maybe ask God, how can I re, re, re-evaluate and realign my rhythm with yours so that way I can be more effective in your kingdom? Can we do that tonight? Lord Jesus.